You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. What up, guys? The 3AM Podcast. If you like scary stories, you're in the right spot. My name is Charlie. My name is DJ. My name is Sean. Okay, so I told you guys last week on the last episode that I was in Portland. And I went to where they filmed The Goonies. Sick. Hell yeah. My question is, I don't know. The Goonies has such a special place in my heart because I blame it as being the excuse I always used to like do mischievous stuff. Do hood rat shit with your friends? Yes. <laughs> so if any time we were like, you know, in an abandoned building and it was like, should we keep going? In the back of my mind, I always thought, what if this is my Goonies moment? Goonies never What if the treasure is there? What if the map is there? What if we find something? Like this is our story and I always like went forward. And I, I legitimately remember thinking, because of Goonies. Did you guys have any movies that affected your activity as child, as children? Yeah, actually. <laughs> I'm prepared for this one, Dean. Whoa! I actually just rewatched all three of these last week while I was home alone. Is it home alone? Teenage Mutant oh. Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I was getting violent, you know, or <laughs> eating pizza. Pizza. I just think how radical and bodacious that Ninja Turtles were. Dude, when I was seven, I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. Sean's so. like a homeschool in a half shell. <laughs> <laughs> Onion power. <laughs> um, they were green, dude. Sean was, uh, what's what's the turtle, the cartoon? Franklin? Yeah. <laughs> Sean, Sean was Ninja Franklin turtle. <laughs> oh, dude, that's just, that's just rude, bro. <laughs> just um, yeah. Uh, huge inspiration movie childhood movie 
uh, cool runnings. Ooh. Ooh. Give me the confidence to move to a, a colder <laughs> climate. Yeah. As in and penguins, an, as did you become an snow? Olympian or still um, working on that? Yeah, one. still working on that bit. But <laughs> that's funny, dude. I can like pinpoint a lot of my characteristics or like my development as children to a lot of movies. I was like really big into movies. Goonies was one of them. One of my favorite parts of the Goonies was Data. Yeah, dude. Team Data all the way. Dude, being a part part Asian kid, I was like, dude, represent. You know what I mean? <laughs> and one of his most iconic lines is booty traps. You guys <laughs> remember that? Ooh, yeah. So I came across an article, and we are going to cover some famous booby traps throughout <laughs> history. Okay. I'll start off with China's first emperor. Do you know anything about it? No, I was just going to say the concept of booby traps, I swear, is something that every boy, at least, like fantasized about as a, as a child. Setting, boob- setting uh, booty traps? <laughs> yeah. Grabbing booby traps? <laughs> yeah. Um, setting booby traps, like pranking oh, dude. your, your, oh, your yeah. parents or your siblings, your friends. is just, you see it on the movies. Like I put it on part, there's like a whole group of that. That still kind of exists in me today. <laughs> oh, dude, that yeah. I trace back to my childhood booby traps, Rube Goldberg machines. Oh, where it's like you know uh, the, uh, the marble like goes the marble knocks over, oh, lights yeah. the yeah. candle. Yeah, dude, there was hella like those things. Once quarantine hit, like oh, Instagram was bored just in their house. Nothing but that. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> um, I I remember setting up a like an obstacle course for ants in my bedroom. <laughs> Like straws connecting to bowls of water that they had to swim across and like a string high wire yeah. that they had to walk. Nice, dude. It's like American Ninja Warrior for insects. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did any of them ever complete the course? Uh, I remember one like drowned itself. <laughs> oh, I was like, you failed. <laughs> Disqualified. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Chinese. Uh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, Chinese guys. This is like your great, great grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, first emperor of China. Shame on my family. Dishonor. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this dude is a big deal, right? Sure. Not going to pronounce his name. Just know he was the first emperor of China. He was really obsessed with the idea of living forever. And he had the means to, like, explore every avenue. So, he had people making him potions, elixirs of life, which he would take to no avail. <laughs> Let me just read this part from the article. Chinese alchemy was more oriented towards oriental towards uh, medicinal uses, in, in, uh, in particular elixirs of immortality, and perhaps mercury in Chinese, literally meaning water silver, was the key to these. So a poison was like a key to their elixirs of life. Chinese legend tells of a Huang An who prolonged his life for at least 10,000 years by eating mercury sulfate. And it's mm. a mineral called cinnabar. Like cinnabar island? Before you get drooly, not Before cinnabun. cinnabun. Yeah. <laughs> Shut the hell up, bro. Name uh, me a better cinnamon roll. <laughs> it's, it's cinnabar. You can't. Yeah, cinnabar island. Is that a place? Yeah, that's in Pokemon. Oh, okay. You're grounded. <laughs> the fire gym. Blaine lives on that island. Also, if you swim up and down on the right side of the island, you get the missing number, and then you can duplicate items. <gasps> I don't know. There you go, 90s kids out yeah. there. <laughs> uh, 
the first emperor, the guy we were talking about, was said to have consumed wine and honey laden with cinnabar, thinking it would prolong his life. Some have speculated that he might have hastened his death <laughs> with these medicines. Hmm. So it's funny. A lot of them in the pursuit of living forever probably died earlier. So he's taking these elixirs. He's doing these things. He even sends people out like across the sea looking for the potion of life. At some point, hope is lost. So he decides, all right, I'm just going to prepare for ruling in the next life. So he starts building a ton of stuff. They worked on his tomb for 36 years before he died. They, they, he believed, you know, whatever was like in this tomb, he would take to the next life. So he had to fill it with all of the resources, animals, horses, pastures, buildings, food, and warriors. Have you guys ever heard of the terracotta warriors? Mm -hmm. That sounds vaguely familiar. Most of us have seen it. Statues, there's like a thousand of them all lined up. Interesting. There's over 8,000 of them. Oh, shit. I know. So a long time ago, some farmers were working. They were trying to dig a well, and they dig down, and they find these warriors, and they start uncovering them. And then they bring an archaeologist, and they find over 8,000 of these dudes. Insane. (laughs) Yeah. So previous to, like, these discoveries by archaeologists, it was a lot of, like, mythology. There was just writings of someone who said what the what the first emperor of China did, and they were like, that sounds crazy. Outlandish. That probably didn't happen. No. Then they find the terracotta warriors, and they're like, oh, shit. Like, some of this might be real. Then they find all of his, like, tomb and his food and his offices. And, like, every he built, like, a city that would go with him. And they're like, holy crap, we're not sure how much of this is fake. This is what they claimed, though. The writers who wrote about it said... 700,000 men worked on the emperor's tomb, constructing entire places, towers, scenic landscapes, through which the emperor's spirit might roam. Then there's stories of they built like a mini China underground. Damn. Complete with rivers, lakes, bodies of water, and like a ton of stuff, right? But because this is the afterlife... Anything that would contain water, rivers, lakes, oceans, or whatever in there, they filled it with, they claimed, mercury. Hmm. So entire rivers of mercury. (laughs) And they're like, dude, this can't exist, right? Turns out they find that there is a hollow part (laughs) near the terracotta warriors. They do a ton of research or a ton of like, they do things like testing the electromagnetism of the soil. They do like penetrative i can't say that word <laughs> they do like ph things like that yeah and it's the only science like, thing i know the <laughs> <laughs> little thing you do for yeah, the water they're like, like hmm. oh yeah mercury <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> they do test it for mercury there's a high amount of mercury they're like this is um anomalous like this is not natural but they do like sonar shit and shoot down and they find that there's a cavity in the earth under this mound the size of a football stadium. Damn. <laughs> and so previously they're like, surely they didn't build a mini China with rivers of mercury. But now that they're finding all the other, other evidence, like corroborating what that guy said, and then they find this big chamber, and then they test the soil, and there is really high amounts of mercury there, they think there is like literal rivers of mercury in here. So to this day... They have not opened up that chamber. Bro, open it up. <laughs> they need to open it. 
There's no current plans to open it. That's bull. I know. Science. But the re- their reasoning is they have no way to protect what's on the inside. So if they open it up, chemical reactions would happen, possibly destroying whatever's inside. Well, well they're never going to know either. It's rendered don't. useless either way. So might as well just open it up. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Bro, you guys don't even have to watch History Channel or Discovery Channel. Just listen to our boy Charles. There you go. I got you. But no uh, elixir of life? Um, I don't think so. Actually, China does have one elixir of life. What's that? Uh, they discovered uh, opiates. Oh, opioids, right? Yeah. Or they were like the biggest opium. Ex- yeah. Biggest export of it at one point. You know, <laughs> that'll like sure. keep you alive forever for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll live a whole life in a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then die early and yeah. gross. Cool. Okay, that's the first one. That's fire. China. Let's go to Egypt. Oh, <sighs> dude. Egypt's I was gonna say, scary, dude. Bro. Just think of like you were talking about his tombs. I just thought of like King Tut and just Indiana Jones. Tab, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Like Indiana Jones, that's kind of where all this sparked. I saw an ask Reddit and it was like, like Indiana Jones, we see booby traps. Does that actually exist in the real world? And so I went through and found different articles people cited and kind of put the coolest ones together to share with you guys. Don't. But definitely makes you think of like Indy and the huge rock. Oh running. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next is Egypt. His name is Amenhotep III. Oh, Hotep. So originally, this one sound, this one feels like a D&D. <laughs> so originally they find his tomb, and it's a small room with a pretty respectable amount of treasure in it. And they're like, well, this is, this, is, this is a crazy tomb. There's the treasure. Upon further inspection, the back wall is a false wall. Ooh. So they go through it. Archaeologists. It takes you down a tunnel. That's, Wait, it's a treasure then the false wall? Yeah, because... That's good. Yeah, bro, they were, they were like, traps, that's bro. smart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Roll for traps. It <laughs> takes you down the hall and it splits into two. So there's two pathways you can go down. Sean, do you go left or right? I'll go right. Okay, roll. You got a DC of five. Seven. Okay, you go down the left hall and you're saved. Had you gone down the right hall... There was a false door or a a trap door in the floor. It would break under any type of weight and you would fall 20 feet to like straight stone slab. Oh. And then no one would come protect or save you. So you would just be in there until you broke your legs, starved, and then died. Okay. If you went down the right path. Like the correct path down the left? Yeah. You would eventually make it to another stairway where I think there was another trap door and then find like the real tomb. There was people who lived near this tomb. Their job, their entire job, they were paid forever to make sure that they would replace the trap door if it was ever triggered. <laughs> so they would go like randomly check it and then like replace the wood. <laughs> That's why their families wonder, would get paid. Yeah, yeah. Like they would pass down that job from hey, generation yo, to generation. It's turn to go check the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what, yeah, that's what they said. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. I've never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would take that job. <laughs> yeah. It'd be hilarious. Wow. Just f- hear people like screaming in the hole and you're just like, uh-huh, uh, put down the wood. <laughs> uh, Owen Wilson in uh, Shanghai Nights when he meets Jackie Chan. Um, he's like, man, that's the cool thing about all of you Asians. <laughs> all of you have like the coolest job titles, like Keeper of the Imperial Seal and... <laughs> 
So I don't know. Thanks, Owen. <laughs> Royal booby <laughs> trap fixer. <laughs> Thank you, Owen. <laughs> the big booby trap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> booby trap guy. Trapper. All right. This one. Okay, don't look. Don't look. <laughs> TJ looks at me. <laughs> That's like me earlier in the video, the YouTube video. It's like, guys, don't look. Sean Bro, looks. I wasn't even <laughs> looking before that. Had you told me not to look, I wouldn't have looked until you told me to look. Dude, that's always how it but, is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the next one. This one's dope. I'm going to actually have to show you what it looks like. So it is known as the Temple of the Buffon. The Buffon? In mm. Angar. A-N-G-K-O-R. Speak American. Angkor? Yes. That one. Angkor what? Modern day Cambodia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bro, that definitely looks booby trapped. Yeah. So this temple. First of all, I think it's sick. I think it's so dope. My immediate thought is to walk on the pillars. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, <laughs> Like too, the rest is quicksand or something. <laughs> okay, kind of. So this temple was built in, dude, uh, by a guy whose name is U-D-A-Y-A-D-I-T-Y-A-V-A-R-M-A-N, the second. M-N-O-P. Yeah. <laughs> so that guy. It's like someone who didn't ever want anyone to call him. For real. Is that how Hawaiian sounds like? Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who the what? <laughs> My name is Kamaha Onolunamai. Yeah. Oh, you just told him. Oh, sh- this dude built it. It was 50 meters high. That's about 16 stories. Dude, that's, that's, that's got some height, bro. This type of temple was known as like the mountain style. And in that time, they built temples in different ways. This wasn't as common. There was like cloud, sky, or something like that. They had a couple different names for how they built temples. This mm-hmm. one was the mountain one. Yeah. Super particular way you had to enter it and get into it. And it was built in such a way that I think something happens. Um, it was originally built for Shiva, but the original people living there aren't there anymore. And Buddhists come in and they're going to repurpose this place for Buddha. So they get rid of like anything referencing Shiva and they're going to put a huge Buddha statue on top. So they get to the top, and there's this ornamental, like, black marble everywhere. Maybe not marble, but, like, this stone. And they're like, this is perfect. We're going to take this off and put the Shiba statue, or the, the Buddha statue right here. And they remove those pieces of stone. And how this whole thing is built <laughs> is it is literally supported by a mountain of sand. And right when they removed the stones, it, like, blew up in sand destroyed came flooding out destroyed them the statue of buddha and like half of the temple holy cow <laughs> so uh yeah they were effed it it was this place wasn't open till 2011 and like they had to rebuild it and reinforce it with and metal like because don't of touch anything <laughs> yeah so they were saying like you know those movies where it's like you move something and the entire temple like takes take like goes down this literally was that that's wild bro that's like this is all the biggest troll move ever <laughs> like you're dead dude <laughs> and you're still freaking screwing yeah. me <laughs> okay the next one i only have a couple more so bear with me this one is 1994 in chapas mexico so this is a mayan site palenque have you ever been there sean no you went to tulum yeah okay so from what I, I watched like a documentary on this 
from what I understand, if it's current and correct, a lot of Palenque is still like unexplored. Yes. Hmm. So it's like very an active site. And in 1994, this female archaeologist was going around and I think a lot of her role was reinforcing walls, reinforcing things just to make sure it all didn't collapse or whatever. So she's in this like side temple known as Temple 13 and she's just reinforcing. And while she's doing that, she looks over and there's a part of this staircase that used to be covered in weeds and debris, but it's been cleared. And since it's been cleared, she can see there's a crack in the stairs. She goes up to the crack and peers through and sees that there is a long hallway with a sealed door at the end. She's stoked. She immediately runs to her supervisor, tells him, and he's already celebrating because they had made like a huge discovery that morning. And then she makes like another one. So they're, they're stoked. Things are popping off. Like he had found a tomb that was full of jade, like hundreds of thousands of pieces of jade or something like that. So plans immediately start to excavate this thing. It takes years for them to plan how they're going to do it and finally execute. But they do. They go through the sealed door and they get to a false floor. Open up the false floor and it's a huge staircase that has been full, filled with rocks and sand. So they have to take out all the rocks, all the sand, be super careful. It takes them a really long time. And they get to the entrance of a tomb. They open the doors and they can see mountains of treasure and three bodies. There's one of a prepubescent boy, another of a pretty young girl, and a woman in the middle. The prepubescent boy is headless. The young girl is full of stab wounds, heart removed, and evidence that she was burned. And the woman in the middle is completely covered in, a, in red. Uh. This stuff is everywhere. So, the young kids, they're most likely there because the Mayans believed in sacrifice. And they think these two were sacrificed to help her transition easier. So, they had an old school way of sending messages to heaven. And it was by taking a piece of paper, writing a message on, burning an organ, burning the message of paper, mixing the smoke, and that smoke would carry the message to the gods in the afterlife. What the fuck comes up with that? Dude. <laughs> so intense. So extra. It's like, all we have to do now is pray. Yeah. Couldn't be like, just like, light the message on fire and it goes up? Yeah. Like, the smoke still goes up, shit. It's like, we need to thank, thank God for this food. It's like, we're going to need one of your hearts. <laughs> It reminds me of like when you're in high school and you had like limited text message. <laughs> yeah. This is like ultra limited text yeah, message. Yeah. You got to be like selective. Yeah. Do you really want to tell God that? Yeah. <laughs> or is the message like worth it? Damn. Like could be just like I have a boyfriend. Like, <laughs> I have. Yeah. Okay. That's so funny. You took his heart. God's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, 100% the easiest way to get cursed is be an archaeologist. Dude, yeah. It's like, like what, are you, what are you doing at that point? For real. Keep you're asking for it. So that just leaves the woman who, if you remember, is completely covered in this red substance. It reminds me of Holy Festival. Uh, like the Hare Krishna, the powder or whatever, they, the chalk they throw. Totally. 
that's the only thing I can think of that looks like that. I hope it's not <laughs> that because what it is is cinnabar, the thing we talked about earlier, which happens to be a pretty poisonous neurotoxin. Oh. So her and all her riches are literally covered in this stuff. And I think the people, they had to be super careful. Even breathing the air, they couldn't because they would like all die. So this whole tomb was like full of this stuff that would kill people. Crazy and very dramatic. I think yeah. they talked about red was like mines. They used it everywhere. Like it covered their temples, covered everything. Everything was covered in red. So this super dramatic scene of a skeleton covered in this red dust and finding out that it's all poison. To this day, they're not exactly sure who she was. There's a couple culprits, they think. But it turned out to be one of the richest tombs they'd ever found. Like, the most shit. So whoever she was, super, super important. That's crazy. You have to get, like, what, hazmat suits? Yeah. Something like that. Get it clean. Just a nice little cloth mask. <laughs> Double. <laughs> oh, yeah. And hand sanitizer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everyone who lived through 2020 would be like, step aside. Yeah. <laughs> I know what to do. <laughs> we got this. Yeah. When no. they discovered that, 2019. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just had a lot of fun reading these and the idea of them. There was a lot more, a lot different, different types and styles. Like there's literally a tomb. The guy had a wall of uh, like automatic crossbows set up. So it was pretty much like Indiana Jones, you know? Yeah. Uh, but just interesting. Uh, there's a couple times I've really studied out like death rituals and like, you know, how old cultures saw moving on to the next life. I think it's super interesting. I think there was one of these temples found in Japan, like in the 90s or 2000s hmm. that had a treasure at the end. And it was like you stepped on like a platform and then it started moving and, like, if you missed it, like, you would fall or something. What? Yeah. It was like the... Like Is that the, MXC? Is yeah. that what you're... You bastard. <laughs> Temple of MXC. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, the original uh, American Ninja Warrior. Not even American. Uh, Wipeout. Wipeout. Yeah. It was, like, the original Wipeout made by the Japanese. Le Those, douche. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember I'm that, number dude? one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the funniest one is she ran in. She's like, if I don't win, I'll kill myself. <laughs> I laughed so hard. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, go YouTube MXE right now. Uh, funny. Dude, you bastard. <laughs> I thought I was going to make a funny joke and then they were, you know. You are the funny joke. I am the joke. Uh, just side note, there was a long time I wanted to bring up this thing to you guys, but apparently they found huge pyramids in China. And they, like, don't talk about them. And they won't I, let anyone go. I think I've brought this up once. Interesting, dude. Like, China and Australia has, like, huge pyramids that they don't want to talk about. What's got to be aliens. Like, Also, I've heard there are ruins on Antarctica. Well, that goes into the hollow earth. Dude. And flat earth. And, and, Nazi, the, and naughty, Nazis, dude. Naughty. Naughties. Apparently Nazis, <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they really were. Uh, they fled to like Antarctica and had a whole base down there is the story. So, Bro, if I was one of those, it was like, yeah, you're assigned to flee to Antarctica. I'd be like, hell no, nah, bro. Going to Argentina Sounds like I want to be here and kill people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Uh, Nine. Nine. Um, 
I just watched Overlord last night. So good. For the first time? No, no. I've seen it before. Oh, okay. It Such was my girlfriend's first time. Kevin's first time as well. It is a really fun movie. Oh, yeah. It's like, definitely a fun Take watch. it for what it is. Nazi zombies. Yeah. But. Like done well and fun. The first 10 minutes, if you watch it so loud. So intense. So intense. Yeah. I love it. Falling from the plane. It's insane. <laughs> Things are exploding. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. It's a good one. Anyway, that's me on Burials tonight. I saw it today, and I thought I'd bring it up. Sick. So thanks for entertaining that. Do you guys have any podcast, movie, music, book recommendations? I'm really excited to start a show that I've heard a lot about called Pen15. Yeah. Have you heard of that? It's on Hulu. I think it's a Hulu original, but the whole show is a bunch of adolescents in middle school. And then two of the girls are 30-year-old women playing themselves as, as like when they were in middle school. So but it's like grown ass women pretending to be like thirteen, pretending to be yeah, thir- yeah. thirteen year olds with the other thirteen year olds on set, <laughs> and I've heard it's like the most clever, funniest show. I don't know anything about it besides that, dude. I'll give it a watch too. Yeah, we'll report back. I'm excited. Um, <laughs> there's a new podcast coming out. They just dropped a trailer called The Midnight Miracle, huh. and it's with uh, Dave Chappelle. Oh, I saw that. Talib Kweli, Talib Kweli, and Yassin Bey, who is. Common, formerly known or, as, I was getting common and him confused. They were Black Star though, in the two thousands or nineties. Most deaf. Most deaf. Uh, oh, yeah. what the? Yeah, I was getting most deaf and common mixed up for some reason. But most deaf and yeah, dude, that that's I a think, power combo. I think I commented because I saw that on IG and I commented something like, "Where was this in like two thousand eleven? Yeah, when I when <laughs> yeah. I cared. Kinda. Yeah, <laughs> no nah, disrespect, but I think Dave Chappelle is still very relevant. Bro, like he, he disappeared for a while, but he wasn't like from the public eye, but he was always like in the background. Going along with like movies and things that fundamentally changed how I acted, how I saw the, my life. I was on a road trip, four or five hour road trip with just me and my sister, my older sister, Brittany, who I at the time and still do respected as like the coolest person in the world. And I think I was in fifth or sixth grade and she's like, do you want to listen to a stand-up comedian, like a special? And this is like back when you got shit on Kazaa or <laughs> LimeWire or whatever. And I was like, sure. And she's like, this guy's pretty funny. His name is Dave Chappelle. And she played the Killing Them Softly um, special. Dude, I was like, this is the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my life. And since then, I got really into comedians. So I downloaded Mitch Hedberg downloaded okay i was in seventh grade so i really liked dane cook <laughs> i was like well, this is sharks and bees <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no that dave Chappelle is like i was obsessed i watched every premiere of the dave Chappelle show during seventh and eighth grade i would sneak downstairs because i wasn't supposed to be up that late watch the show go to school the next day and me and all my friends would be like yeah you know we do all the jokes <laughs> like charlie Murphy, you know yeah. what i mean dude um, Dave Chappelle's the best. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no um, I the things that I that come to mind right now are just up and coming, or not up and coming, but have yet to be released. Hmm. Like Green Twenty or uh, Green Twenty Four, Green Knight from A Twenty Four. Hell yeah! Mortal Kombat. I'm really looking forward to Mortal Kombat. Actually, comes looks out this good. Friday. Sean and I were Midnight thinking about showing. watching that sometime <laughs> <Yeah>. soon. <laughs> um, I'm down. Dope. Uh. Sweet. I don't know. 
I'm going to do a couple book re- or recommendations real quick. The Hunting Party, super fun. It was a really fun book. Sean and I both read it. By who? Uh, Foley. Lisa Foley? I'm not versed in authors. <laughs> but I want to say Lucy Foley. Have you read other books Ooh, from? It could be Lucy. It is Lucy Foley. Yeah, so she's an author. She, How I describe her is kind of like a modern-day Agatha Christie, who is like the godmother of like whodunit murder mysteries. So she's like basically whodunit murder mystery just in modern day time. So she wrote The Hunting Party and then the next one is The Guest List. Both super fun. If you like that style book, please read it. There are so many times throughout the book you're like, I think I know who the killer is and it's always not. Like she does so such a good job at like upset that you didn't even Don't ruin it. Tell me if this ruins it and you can cut it. Kay. You don't even know who dies until the last couple chapters. I don't think that ruins it. And I was like, the I was whole trying to you, guess like the actual crime. No, yeah. Up, I don't think that ruins the it. End. Yeah. No, that's true. It's really fun. Cool. You guys are into audiobooks. Dude, yeah. I insatiable. I just want them all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't, you, but you don't have any like hardcovers. Not anymore. Not, Not anymore. Not anymore. I have a couple. I haven't read a real book for a while. Is it more like a multitasking thing? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's cheaper for audiobooks too. I think. And space. Yeah. Like, so it's like, I guess you don't really need to keep it. It's like eight bucks a month and I get at least one book. So it's like, yeah, cheaper than a typical paperback. Recently, because I collect records, I've been on the hunt for like soundtracks. Ooh. So I found a couple while we were in Seattle, which I'm really excited about. One is Cowboy Bebop, one of my favorite animes. And that Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, that was so good, I dude. love that movie, man. The Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. Do they make movies still? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I feel like it's been a while since I've seen a Coen Brother movie, like a new one. But while Sean's looking that up, I'm also looking for trying to find Tony Hawk Pro Skater. That's so dope. Soundtrack. Superman, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. I swear I'm only getting it for that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there's other bangers on that soundtrack, but. Um, That's where I discovered Aesop Rock. Really? Yeah. From Tony Labor. Hawk. Labor was on Tony Hawk. I cool. think one or two. Dude, video games and cartoons shaped a lot of my media interests. Dude, for sure. So I've recently been watching, like rewatching some cartoons. I started watching Hey Arnold again. Oh. Hey Arnold had like. My dream bedroom. I was going to say that. <laughs> I a thousand percent remember his room. He had the dopest room. It wasn't, weren't they kind of like poor? It was like, bitch, you're so. not poor yeah, with that room. Yeah. They live in New York. I mean, not all of New York's, but I, all of New York is expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll stand by that. Um, and he had like rooftop access. It was so In sick. his room. He had a skylight. Music, like his bed situation. Oh, man. Yeah. Ideal. Perfect wallpaper and perfect 90s wallpaper. <laughs> Plants. Yeah. Just the whole mood was right. <laughs> Dude, um, yeah, I'm really excited for that. I love revisiting uh, some of these nostalgic things. Um, is there any objectively bad media you've consumed recently? For sure. All of it. Like past, <laughs> past taste. Like past, this is not my thing. It's like. I think all people think this is not good. <laughs> uh, the only one that comes to mind is Mulan. Do you remember watching Mulan? Who says it's bad? No, no. The live action one. Oh, gosh. That one came out about a year ago. Yeah. But that one was laughably bad. Dude. I'm, I'm big into there's objectivity in art. 
Okay. Whether it's a book, writing, so just being music, like, movies. It's good to someone. No. That's subjectivity. Whoa. Explain. Help objectivity me. is like, there's no denying this is gotcha, bad. Got you, got you. Yeah. Subjectivity is like, it varies from person to person. I feel, I like this. I like the taste of this food. I think there's objectivity in food. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, this is not a good It's like how pizza. I like gas like station food. <laughs> Kevin does not. Subjectivity. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just clearing it from my mind. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. think there's bad art, and that's not an opinion. <laughs> I think there are bad movies, and it's past opinion. It's spicy like take. Fact. Dude. Yeah. It is a spicy <laughs> take, but. There's the simple fact of just being entertained, and that is obviously for the lowest common denominator, right? Like our listeners, you know. Right. <laughs> but it's like, why do, why, why do I have to subject myself to that and be like, oh, yeah. You enjoyed it. <laughs> or, or you have to like, in order to be entertained by it, you have to turn off like deductive thought. You have to turn off, you know what I mean? Like so many things to like, I don't know, for there, me at least. On on the contrary. I sound like an asshole. It kind of is an asshole opinion. Yeah. On the contrary, there are a lot of movies that are real try hard or try to get all cylinders firing off like psychologically, visually, the music, the score. Uh, the writing, all of it, and it's still bad. Mm-hmm. Like there are bad movies that still try to do the most, like Avatar. Oh, the M Night Shyamalama. Yeah, there wasn't even a plot. Twist. No, no, no. Oh, uh, the blue people. blue people. Oh, gotcha. I think that was just it looked good, but it was like the same. It's the story of Pocahontas. It's the story of Mulan. Dances with wolves. Dances with wolves. Yeah. The Hawaiians. <laughs> Real life, <laughs> real life, bro. Actually, this might. I was in the gym today, and I was in the theater room of the gym where you can run from. In it's like a movie theater, and you can. Okay, there's a ton the, of treadmills. Yeah, yeah. And they were playing a movie, and it comes up, and it's titled Soul Surfer. <laughs> bro, that is actually a good movie. Mallory Fuck. loves Soul Surfer. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, she watched it the other day. I walked into the house, and I was like, "Oh, Hawaii's on the TV." I was so <laughs> triggered, bro. Yeah. And I don't like that word, but that's what I was. Yeah. I was so pissed. Everything about it, I was so annoyed. The bad guy in it is the only Hawaiian person. It's like <laughs> it literally makes Hawaii look like Wisconsin. What's the whitest place in the world? Shit. Utah. It makes Hawaii look like Utah. Like everyone in it is blonde hair, blue eyes. There's like no Hawaiian. I don't know. I was just pissed, bro. How are you going to make a movie about Hawaii and it's like this? (laughs) I was angry. I think when you talk about – because there's a – I obviously don't have everything thought out with uh, objectivity in art. So, yes, there is a level of just enjoyment. But it's like if it's just enjoyment, then we shouldn't be talking about how good it is. Does that make sense? Like we shouldn't be rating it. We shouldn't be asking questions if it's just for enjoyment. If you're ready to talk about the movie or talk about the music, like the technicality of it, then that's where the objectivity comes in. Okay. So in your discussion, it's like you think they're just like two separate discussions. I guess. Uh-huh. I don't have all this thought out like <laughs> I said. <laughs> no worries. Do but. you have uh, your thoughts on Hawaii being taken by white people thought out? <laughs> That's another episode. <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm tired of being the token brown kid. <laughs> Dude, I feel you. I I'm, was the token Asian for so long. I'm tired like, of being annoying. An, I'm tired of running to people and they learn I'm from Hawaii and like Hawaii is such a beautiful place. But it's like you don't care about anything other than that we have nice beaches 
or like beautiful, nice weather. Tell them, DJ. It's uh, I don't know. It's like you don't care to know about like uh, my my actual people. I don't know. It's <laughs> weird. Or like support our causes. It's just uh, like we enjoy you from afar, but we don't want to be up close and personal with the things that actually matter. That's how I felt about Soul Server. It's like I was like, this is not Hawaii. I don't know. It pissed me off so bad. That's what I thought about Raya. I thought Raya was a was a fun movie, but it's like it comes from. They didn't even choose one southeastern country. They chose like a mixture Southeast of, Asia. Yeah. But they kind of did and that then, with, with Moana, where like Montanui is not a real place. Yes. And they took elements of Tongan, Samoan, Hawaiian. But they used legends that were real. Ah. I did talk. Raya doesn't have a lot of like real culture, myths, and legends. Like they made up a lot of what happened in Raya. Huh. Like I can name you a ton. Like I've already named it before in previous episodes. Like the spirit. Like the ancestor spirit is real. Maui is a real demigod that uh, Hawaiians believe in. Tafiti. Like Raya's, they don't believe in dragons. I know? have heard, I talked to a Vietnamese Vietnamese person and they said there are dragons that I, do bring gifts. I, really? Yeah. But they I, said that's all. I know, yeah. uh, I know Singapore, sing, Singapore, <laughs> Singapore has the merlion. I don't know how, if that's just like an icon or if like they believed in like an actual merlion creature Maybe in we history. get more educated. Because I know nothing. Yeah, let's find someone who knows a shite ton and tell us what they think about it. I mean, we talked to our Vietnamese friend and our Thai friend, and they were like, uh, I didn't really pick anything out yeah. in Raya that yeah. like I could draw to. Huh. There are things in Moana that aren't real. Tafiti. Like the coconuts? Like the kakamora. <laughs> Bro, Kakamora <laughs> pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, that was like a... Like, that, this that, is bullshit. That was for the kids. That, that's That's true. like the it excuse the for yeah. me, but it's like, I don't know. Coco's a beautifully beautifully done film. A lot of it is tied to culture, like Dia de los Muertos and the afterlife. And even uh like the the dragon, like the dog that turns into the dragon. Oh, is it spoiler? Like spoiler. Quetzalcoatl, is it? <laughs> oh yeah, shit, yeah. Like the dragon the feathered phoenix serpent. feathered serpent god. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. I mean, that's like a good gripe you have with the movies. You wish there was more concrete like real things they drew on for Southeast Asia. I think it's more substantive and it's not just a fairy tale. Hmm. Like one is actual people and you can go and visit that country today and be like, oh, wow, Disney did their homework. Uh And the other is Shrek. You know, it's like. Disney did their homework. (laughs) It's like, where does this come from? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Well, okay. But Shrek is a masterpiece, though. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not trying to be cultural like Raya, you know? I don't know. We don't have all the answers. And we don't know what point we're making. But hopefully you had fun listening to this (laughs) this rant. All over the place. (laughs) As for me, I am the lowest common denominator and consume all shitty art. Okay, going back to that though. Yeah, Sean ate a reduced price pizza last night. From, it was from Smith. From Smith. It was <laughs> what three dollars. There was a sticker on it that said reduced. <laughs> what has to happen to a Smith's pizza? Bro, where it's, it the, is it's, it's just day old. No, they're like Jesus wiped his ass with this. <laughs> this was returned. Mark it today. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone returned this. Holy shit! I couldn't afford not to buy it. It was three dollars. Sean, you have money now. You don't have to go to the the freaking clearance. Yeah, that's rack. the funniest thing. I threw some onions on there too, bro. The funniest thing is Sean's the richest one out of all of us. You still be acting poor, bro. That's probably why. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> I spend all my money on cheap ass food. Yeah. Or you save all your money on cheap ass food. Hey, <laughs> wild. I do have the ability. 
to turn off the critic in me and just consume. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I love shitty horror, horror films. Mm-hmm. I realize how irritating I am. Dude, people don't want to hear this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are like, cool, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I realized, and I've gotten better at not sharing my opinion. Me too, bro. Because I have strong ones about a lot of things I shouldn't. But as you can tell, they're pent up. <laughs> <laughs> I just need someone to talk to. You. Yeah. So th- thanks for listening out there. <laughs> Guys, any other thoughts before we jump into stories? Negative. Let's do this. Let's roll. All right, we roll our 20-sided die to determine in what order we tell our stories. Highest number goes first. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light lightness in my heart my head my emotions if that's something that you're needing if that's something that's missing uh, give therapy a try give better help a try uh, we want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 3am. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. We roll. DJ got a 6, Charlie got a 12, Sean got an 8. So Charles, Sean, me. Nice. All right, boys. If you remember last week, I had tales from... Scotland. Well, I have the reason I like research Scotland is for this story. So this comes from one of our, a friend of the podcast. Her name is Jade. Jade grew up in Edinburgh. Sick. She grew up in number 10 Delmany Street in this certain part of Edinburgh that has a really long history, super old place, like hundreds and hundreds of years, which is weird for us. Americans, because a lot of our shit is like not old at all. <laughs> like the oldest we get is 300 years. <laughs> yeah, that's the, and hers goes way back. Yeah. So she grew up in this place. She grew up living with her grandparents and she lived in 10 Delmany Street. She remembers the street she lived on. You would walk up to her apartment building. There's a big old wooden black door. She can remember the sound it would make. It would creak as you opened it and shut and it would echo up the stairway. So she lived in a building where there's like multiple people living. So you'd open this big black door and you'd go up and there was four flights of stairs with like different people's apartments, right? She said she grew up knowing most of her neighbors. It was a safe place. Um, happy memories of playing in the stairwell. A lot, of, a lot of good memories. Her dad, I think, was American. And so he lived in America. It wasn't often that she got to like see her dad. So every time he did come over 
and stay with him, it was a big event. Like she's glued to his hip. She's so stoked. And at this point, she's 10 years old and dad's coming to visit. So it's the summer of 1999. Dad's coming to visit. He gets there. She's so excited. And what do they do? Every young kid's dream, at least for me on the weekend, they went to the video rental spot. <laughs> do you guys remember doing that? Like going to Blockbuster? Well, we weren't quite wealthy enough for oh. that, but I, I remember kids doing that. Do you remember thinking <laughs> about doing that, Sean? <laughs> Was there a Blockbuster around you? Bro, I remember Were seeing you? the Lord of the Rings like cardboard like cut out cut out outside of the building. And that was your entertainment. That was, yeah. Be like, Sean didn't have a blockbuster. Cool. They had busted rocks. Actually, we had Hollywood video. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Sorry, Sean. I love um, you. Yeah, I remember that. I would go and play, like, try new games. Oh, for me, it was such a big decision because it's like, what? This is going to dictate your whole weekend. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then just seeing, I remember being so disappointed looking at the wall of the new movie that you wanted to see. It's all gone. It's all gone. <laughs> there's like, that you look shitty behind, paper there. Yeah, that shitty paper, or you look behind each one, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> there's no copy behind it. Yeah. I mean, next time we should get here earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Dinosaurs. Well, she's super stoked. So her and dad go to the video rental store, get a couple movies. It's going to be a fun weekend. They get back home. They're getting comfortable. I'm, I'd imagine like eating food, getting ready, popcorn and stuff. And... Dad says, hey, I'm going to step out for a smoke, and then I'll be right back. We're going to watch a movie. So she's sitting there. She's so excited. She's trying to contain herself and can't. She's like, okay, uh, I'm going to go outside and ask Dad what movie we're going to watch. So she runs to their apartment door and opens it into the stairwell. She peeks her head out, and she goes, Dad, echoes through the stairwell. She thought he was just going to step out and have a smoke. He's nowhere to be seen. Immediately she thinks, he's playing a trick on me because she has an overwhelming sense that she's being watched. So she looks up the stairs, up to the higher stairs, doesn't see him, looks down to the black door and doesn't see him. And again, she goes, dad, no answer. So she tries to shake off this weird feeling she has. She goes down to the black door that leads out to the street. She reaches up. And as she's inches away from the doorknob, she freezes. And she says she doesn't know why. She's filled with dread. A terrible feeling of fear. So I'm sure as a young kid, she like doesn't know what's going on. She turns around, runs back upstairs, reaches her landing. And right before she goes back into her apartment, she tries one more time. Dad looks up the stairs. Nothing looks back down the stairs to the black door and there's now a woman standing there. Oh, shit. All of this is happening super fast. It's taking her mind a minute to catch up. But the woman is covered in rags. She has a hooded face. And also, Jade doesn't remember hearing the door open and close at all. So she doesn't know how the woman got there. As she's putting all this together, her mind's like running a thousand miles a minute. She's staring at the woman frozen and the woman silently lifts off the ground a foot into the air. Ribbons of black fabric behind her and she starts to glide up the stairs. <laughs> frozen with fear, Jade watches 
As the woman inches closer and closer to her, she says, Dad walked up the street. Somehow, the terror spell over her breaks. She turns around, slams the door, locks it, runs across her living room, and hides behind the couch, staring at the door. She has a terrible feeling that this thing is on the other side, getting closer and closer. When the intercom buzzes, mm. she gets up, goes across the room, and answers. It's her dad. Jade, let me in. And she goes, Where, where'd you go, dad? And he goes, ha. Jade, let me in. Nope. Hell no, bro. Holy shit. <laughs> And she goes, where did you go? And he goes, Jade, I just walked up the street. Mm, no, dude. Story ends there. <laughs> Turns out it was her dad. Everything was okay. This experience affected Jade so much, it caused her to question and search her entire life. To the point where she currently travels the U.S. doing, like, ghost hunting. And she Same. documents all of her evidence on a YouTube series. It's called Ghost Club Paranormal. So if you guys are interested, go check her out. She's on YouTube. She has an IG, at Ghost Club Paranormal. But she has plans to one day, when she can, go back to Edinburgh and try to reconnect with whatever that was. Bro, that's wild. She never saw it again, but... She all often thought about it. She did a lot of research on the place, and this is her feelings and her thoughts. She thinks it's from the era of the Black Plague because the, the clothes it was wearing, the hood and stuff like that, she says it's very reminiscent of that time. And being not in the situation and thinking back on it, she truly thinks it was stopping her from going out that door. And in a way, maybe helping her avoid, like, a bad situation. Maybe Something she went out. could have happened. Exactly. Huh. So it doesn't sound necessarily like malicious or, or, you know, I don't know, harmful. Yeah. Just hella creepy. Yeah. When I was going to go to Edinburgh last year, I had actually scheduled a ghost tour and was so pissed when like all like, oh, the airline went bankrupt. And that was, that was probably the most thing, the one thing I was most excited about, except for going to find Loch Ness monster. Dude, that sucks. You'll have to go back. Oh, I definitely need to go. You very likely could have come to like this area because from what I was listening to, she was on another like show where they covered a little bit more about the area. So much stuff there. That's what it seemed like. I was just reading like a little bit of like what was on the tour and I was like, oh, this this is kind of sick. So maybe 3 a.m. adventures goes to (laughs) Edinburgh. I'd be down. I wish we had more time when we were in Seattle to do something scary i've recently whenever i've traveled tried to do something spooky so like when i went to alaska i did a ghost tour when i was down in southern utah random caves like trying to find just something that's good creepy wherever i go i think i just need to make that my goal too like at least one thing sometimes it doesn't turn out very well though because the one i did in london on the double decker bus was so uh that seems like tourist trap it was a tourist trap yeah. bro so maybe <laughs> like read some reviews fictional yeah. for sure i was like gosh damn this is stupid Ooh, don't just all i'm gonna tell you guys a secret don't tell anyone okay okay i think i'm going down to saint thomas with my cousin Ooh, 
for like the weekend or a couple days. And we might schedule a night kayak in the ocean with pirate and ghost stories. Oh, that's in St. Thomas. So I don't know. I might do that and I might report back. Do definitely report back. But anyway, you're right. We need to make it a, a point to try and do things when we go places. Yeah. Anyway. One spooky thing. No, that was great. I want to hear more of her experiences. Yeah, she seems, dude, I've like checked out some of her content. Super legit. So uh, shout out Jade at Ghost Club Paranormal. Thank you for letting us share that story. And uh, yeah, it was fun. So that's me. I'm up, guys. So in 1937, in Nanking, China, on the banks of the Yangtze River, during the Sino-Japanese War, the uh, leader of a battalion of 3,000 men, name of Li Fu Xiang, saw that his troops were dug in for the night, goes to bed as normal. He's woken up the next morning from a concerned soldier that says none of the troops on the line are responding. 3,000 men. So he gets up, they go out to this defensive line and find that every single one of the 3,000 men is gone. Disappeared. Fire is still glowing at different like outposts. All of the weapons are all still mounted, but none of the soldiers are there. Dude, what? So they do a little, a little bit of an investigation they go to the soldiers by the bridge, which is part of this line that the soldiers were still there. None of them had seen anyone, so none of the soldiers had gotten past. They think potentially these 3,000 men surrendered. And then they uh, obviously think that's not a, a thing due to the fact that any prisoners of war were treated very uh, unwell during this war. They think of defection. Also probably not a uh, realistic scenario. Then they go to thinking about desertion. Now, at, in this area, this location, there's not a whole lot of vegetation that would have been able to hide 3,000 men. So if they had just gone up and deserted, someone would have noticed 3,000 men just running away. Speaking with the villagers, no one said anything. Potentially, they could have given them a place to hide, but no one said anything. Parallel universe. That's actually something that does happen. Like, there are documented stories of people just disappearing. So, it's a possibility. What I want to get to is probably the most possible is a hoax propaganda from the Japanese sending out that men are deserting during this war. We're winning which is probably the case due to the fact that of mass disappearances that have been researched and studied by professionals, this one does not show up. Like no one has looked it up. There's no like background research on it. Probably due to the fact that everyone just believes it didn't really happen. Everyone just believes this was propaganda. But I want to go to one completely different side of the world that did happen and can be proven not to be propaganda. So in the Kivalik region of Nunavut in Canada, where the hell is that? On the banks of the Anjikuni Lake, 
Whoa, up there. Up there. Bro, sometimes I look at like northern Canada and I just find random cities. Oh my God. And I, I look at like the Google reviews. <laughs> and they're like, shit, cold. There's one the diner and that's it. Yeah. Bro, if I lived there, I would disappear too. So that's probably just what happened. And I grew up in Visalia, so. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> there is a Canadian fur trapper name of Joe LaBelle. He's been out trapping and is seeking shelter. Trapping, 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 trapping all damn night. All damn night trapping. He's seeking shelter. He's looking for this village that he's previously been sheltered at before on the banks of the Anjikuni Lake up here in northern Canada. Eventually, after a little bit of searching, he gets to a place where he sees the village off in the distance and relieved because this is coming on winter time. So it's cold, he needs to get to shelter. And if he doesn't find it, he's going to have to create it. Dude, all I, all I can think of is the Revenant. I mean, <laughs> like same vibe. Same vibe, 100%. As he nears the village, he notices that he doesn't see any smoke coming from any of these chimneys in any of the little huts, which is a little strange at first. He shouts out a greeting and no response. He hears the echo of his shouts and the crunching of snow under his feet. And that's it. However, as he nears the village a little more, he sees the glow of a firelight. So he runs towards the firelight because he's still confused what's going on. He runs towards the firelight. And as he gets there, there's nobody. That's freaking weird. What he does find is burnt up stew left over just hanging over the fire as if someone had just left it there. That's concerning. I'm f- creeped. Bro. Like if you're that far out, you're not leaving food. Yeah, what? Just like that. Joe LaBelle continues to search the, the village because there's no one around. He notices that as he enters into the huts, they're all stocked with food and hunting equipment is all still there. In fact, he goes into one hut and there's additional food that was just cooking there that was left and is now moldy. And in fact, there was a child's jacket that looked like it had been, it was being sewn and had just been left there on a bed. So he is even more confused and as, as, as like a trapper, his heightened awareness is like red flags, red flags. Even the fish house was completely full and stocked. So Joe LaBelle is found this village on the banks of this, this lake where everything is there as it's supposed to be. The food, the equipment, the, the hunting weapons, just no people. He also notes there's no sign of a struggle either. Oh, that's weird. Everything seems to just be normal as if, like he said, someone had just left it. And then he starts to search the edge line of this village to see if maybe he can find where the people exited. Because this is a village of probably 30 people or so. So you'd like see tracks, you'd see some sign. You'd see some sign of something. And they're a little bit nomadic Inuit people, but they would never leave without bringing their hunting equipment, bringing their food. They would never leave that just at this village abandoned. Now, Joe, 
he could not bring himself to stay. <laughs> Just too creepy. Too creeped out. So he immediately leaves. I mean, I'd grab that food and then leave. I mean, I don't know if he grabbed the food. I do know that Joe makes it to the nearest town alive. Barely. Because as he gets there, he gets some medical attention. He's been out in the the wild now. For, without shelter, he had to go a night without shelter. And immediately calls the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mountie Police. Mountain Police? Yeah. And they come on over and he tells them his story of what happened at the village. The Royal Canadian Mountain Police decide to go out and investigate. And our patrons will find out oh. what happened <laughs> in you, this investigation. You're dickhead. Dirty dog. You're Dirty dickhead. boy. <laughs> so sorry. I've been telling you guys we'd be doing videos with this in mind the whole time. Yeah. Oh, you freaking. <laughs> yeah, Sean's like, I have, I have, guys, I have a. The Patreon story tonight. We're just going to do this. And then he named something else. So that even tricked us. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like being tricked. <laughs> so if you're not a patron, go to patreon.com slash the 3 a.m. pod, where for four quarters, you can hear the rest of this story. It's eight quarters. Damn. <laughs> no, you're I, wonder, I wonder if you troll because you say four quarters every time. Do I do? But then, do they get there and they're like, "What the fuck? Eight, eight quarters? quarters. <laughs> the quarters?" Correction, that's eight quarters. Yeah, you don't only get this story; you get the entire bat catalog of bonus stories as well. If you get the code and put it into your app, you can get them right there in your feed. It's pretty dope. Welcome back. That's me for tonight. You that aren't patrons, I'm so sorry. You're definitely missing You're- a really good story. <laughs> huh? Very, very true. Very true. Uh, uh, mass disappearance of story for you. Oh. <laughs> but that's me for tonight. You should look Inuit. No, that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work. Sorry. I cannot do that. <laughs> I cannot do <laughs> Bro, there was a review recently. For us? Yeah. It was like, I hate the puns or what? Yeah. Oh, like, shit. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It's like, uh, the stories are good if you can get through like the god awful like jokes in between. <laughs> get f- dude. Yeah. <laughs> you do a podcast. Let me listen to yours. Good. Frick. All right. That's hilarious. My turn. My turn. I didn't think I would be sharing this tonight because you're going to share it. Alone, right? We're going to find out what freaking happens. <laughs> I've been waiting. It's part four of Joe versus Elon. Oh, shit. <laughs> this is uh, going to make me Earlier, more I mad. told the boys that I wasn't going to share it. And we got visibly upset. Yeah. I, I like wasn't looking at them and I was explaining and then I looked up and they were both so pissed at me. <laughs> I get it. I understand. I guess I just got past that when I was reading. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Folks, it's not going to be complete because Joe is still, like I said, he's still writing this. So this uh, this will be a, a lot shorter. We're not going to get a lot of the details. Fine with me. Um, but let's jump back into it. Dude, excited. Ready to be stressed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buckle up. All right. If you haven't heard the previous parts of the story, dude, there's really no reason for you to listen. <laughs> yeah. Like go back and listen to the previous parts. So we're on part four right now, and frick, 
The very last thing that happened is Joe gets snatched up again in New York City. Oh, my gosh. On his way to get pizza. Yeah. On his way to get pizza. (laughs) So Joe is tied up in the back of a van. You can see they're making making their way back um, to Maine. And there's one part where they get to Maine and they're at a gas station. And at the pump right next to them is a cop. So Joe does what any normal person would do in this situation and screams bloody murder. Help! Help! They're hurting me! I'm tired up back here! Screaming at the top of his lungs. And start kicking the side of the car as well, just trying to get any movement. Freak. Joe's going to lose all his shoelaces, bro. <laughs> Cop starts walking towards the van with a very concerned look. And he walks towards the van and is stopped by one of the drivers. He says, officer, I assure you, everything here is not what it seems. Let me explain. And the officer is hesitant and says, uh, I think I'd like to see for myself. He says, listen, we're sent here by J. Siri. This is a pseudonym given by the writer of this story, Joe. Jay Siri is not only the founder of Elon, but the founder, if I'm remembering correctly, the founder of other institutions similar to Elon. So well-known. Well-known. Very connected. And I'll explain more of that in, in a second. Jay Siri was also running uh, for government in Maine and was gaining headway. But people liked him. And he was connected to the police force. So as soon as the driver mentions the name, cop recognizes. Now, the details of what were discussed outside the van, Joe didn't know. But Joe said, I could tell by body language. You know, At this point, I already knew who Jay Siri was. Not entirely, but uh, at least the existence of him. And ever since Elon, I've done my research. And it's my educated and my creative guess that that's how they got that cop to turn away that day. Because of J-Series influence. Joe wrote, uh, the following comment was found on a YouTube video under a related video to the Elon school. You don't have to take my word for it, but I've seen many like it in my years of searching the internet for answers. The comment reads, I retired in 2013 after over 34 years as a probation and parole officer for the state of Maine. Since I am now a free man and can speak the truth, I will make a a few comments about Elon. During my first five years as a PPO, I supervised juveniles as well as adults. And I worked with a few young people who were students at Elon. I found the Elon administration provided very little communication concerning any of my clients at that facility. One time, I wanted to visit a boy on my caseload who was at Elon and was told they needed time to quote-unquote prepare for my visit. After a couple of years on the job, I had learned of several incidents of abuse at Elon against my clients and others. When I went to my supervisor to report the abuse, I was told that Elon was a, quote, sacred cow, and that officials in my department, mental health and corrections, as well as human services and education were, quote, in tight with J. Siri and the Elon School 
and that if I reported a problem with the lawn, I would become the problem. I was Yikes, told, dude. yeah, I was told by one official in my department that anyone causing problems to a lawn could disappear like Jimmy Hoffa. Oh. After, quote, mandated reporting of child abuse became law in Maine, there were several incidents of, of abuse at Elan reported to Child Protective, but they were buried and never given the proper investigation and follow-up due to Mr. Siri's political connections in Augusta. Frankly, I'm relieved that Elan has finally closed its doors and that more and more former Elan residents are having the courage to come forward. Dude, it's like Elan outside of Elan. Like how they're treating, they're using fear, things like that. So... Like simply just like the stuff we've heard in the story, I feel like is not something that they would need to cover up saying, if you say there's something wrong with the lawn, you're going to be the one that disappears. That to me sounds like there's more that we don't know about this going on. If I'm not mistaken, in the introduction to this, Joe says where someone eventually died. Oh, right. Yeah. So I do, I think a student. Well, my first thought goes to trafficking. Trafficking and anything with children. Bro. I don't know. The living conditions, you don't think, are okay, enough if, to report? Or well, the yeah, abuse? enough to report, but to get someone disappeared? like Oh, I see. That level of cover-up. Feel. Fits the bill of. I think, though, I think it is enough to justify. Because let's say this social worker makes enough stink gets enough awareness on it they shut it down millions of dollars true true and, and this hoffa dude is probably like i will kill you that's exactly if you mess it. with my purse so there's a book written on j siri so like i said j siri is just the pseudonym given i guess to avoid some lawsuit potential lawsuit but you can look up uh, a book called duck in a raincoat does my favorite murder discuss this or have you heard it elsewhere yeah out of that for some reason that such a bell yeah but uh duck in a raincoat uh so the description says contains stunning revelations of psychological manipulation drug use child abuse professional malfeasance and appropriated virtue uh but the author had not a professional relationship but somehow was able to contact j siri and like quote him on a bunch of stuff. She was a journalist at the time. And then she wrote a book. She's not like originally an author. But oh, what the? Anyway. But yeah, you can read about J-Series motivations and his uh, rise to, not fame, but power. Power. power um, with the other institutions that he started. Basically, he lost his parents, I think in a car crash growing up, and then was tossed back and forth got into some heavy substance abuse and was just a became a manipulative person sadly somehow got connected with this super influential i think pretty good dude in New York City and they started the first institution called like the like the rain tree something i can't remember but he's that was like the beginning of Jay's rise to power. They started Elon not long after. And three years after they started Elon, Jay was a millionaire. And Elon lasted 41 years. 
Holy cow. Yeah. He had acquired a ton of wealth, power, and influence. If you have troubled teens, send them to 3 a.m. <laughs> where you'll pay us more than four quarters. So that is, that's, that's Jay Siri. Um, the van makes it back to Ilan. And the doors open. And he's greeted by an old and familiar face. Yikes. Nice to see you, Joe. It's Ron. Ron, dude. <laughs> so to recap, this feels like an eternity, but it only happened in three days. Something like Friday, he had his uh, parent group meeting, visited with them in the town Friday night, slept over till Saturday morning, went out to lunch, pepper sprayed Peter, Mom and the Dad. high strength, and his parents ran away, drove throughout the night, to New York City with the man, found some new friends that same day, slept over one of their houses, and then Monday... How did they find him so fast? Joe says, I don't don't know exactly how they found me, but the institutions that Jay spearheaded at the time, the first one was in New York, and I think was still alive and well. During that time. So he had so, like an Elan type operation there. Yeah. And when Joe ran away, I assume they sent out a signal, picture, description. We have a, a runaway, you know. It's still just Look, so it is, crazy. It's still absurd. Yeah. Even with that happening. Yeah. Just looking at how big of a city New York is. So, yeah. That's the only details that we have on that. And I'm sorry. There's not more closure. But, uh, but it happened. It happened. Joe's back. And uh, he said they walk into the building. And the first thing that hits him is Ilan is loud. Everyone's shouting. Everyone's mad. And it's not just loud, like audibly, but just like emotions. You can't think, you know, there's no sense of privacy. You know, you can't be in your own space in Ilan. And straightway, Joe's taken back to the corner. From the Big Apple to the corner. He's there for a few weeks for most of his day. And he's lost his will at this point, you know. If you can run to New York City and get caught, then what's it? Why why would you just run in the heart of, you know, everything happening? So he's there for a few weeks facing the corner. Obviously uneventful, nothing happening. And one day he hears, follow me. It's Ron's voice. And he turns and looks. He says, yes, you, follow me. This has never happened before. It's kind of strange. Uh, by the time he catches up, Ron is already almost outside, walking towards the exit of the building. And as he's following Ron, he realizes it's quiet. This is the quietest I've ever heard, Elon. He's feeling uneasy. Oh, it's Strange. They're going to kill him, dude. They're all in a room. <laughs> He's thinking of, you know, what could possibly happen. Are there a bunch of people outside waiting to jump me that Ron has set up? Has Elon been discovered by the feds or something? I have no idea. Uh, Joe said that I'd seen everything Elon could do to a person. I was wrong. Oh, shit. So Elon is a campus. And there's different houses, all doing the same thing. By the time Joe got there, 
There is only three houses. I believe he was in Elan's seven house. They walk across a lawn and up a big hill to where he knew was Elan eight house. So there's Elan three, seven, and eight. Not super relevant, but uh, he always wondered, you know, he's only seen three of the buildings, what happened to the other five, or if there were more than eight. Anyway, they, they get to Elan eight. It was known as the big house on the hill. And he walks in. It's a sea of people sitting in chairs facing a stage. He realizes this is an assembly. And these are all of the Ilan residents together in one place. He follows Ron and they get in front of everybody. Everybody's watching. That's when Ron gives Joe a pair of gloves. It's time for the ring. And this one was special because it involved more people than the previous ring. They called it the three house ring. And Joe breaks down. I think for the first time, at least in the store, in the comic, this is the first time that I see him actually break down, bawling his eyes out. I want to go home. He even says, I, I want to go to my parents. Even though they've done him wrong, at least for some reason, it, he wouldn't be there. You know, I want to go home. I want to see my sister. I can't do this anymore. He's completely broken. Joe wrote that uh, I might as well have been begging a wild, hungry tiger not to rip my face off. I knew my cries were in vain, but I couldn't hold it in. The ring starts despite his, his cries, and Joe's beaten nearly to death. The next day, I was back in the corner, completely broken. Joe said, pens were hard to come by in Elan because they were seen as weapons, and only strengths were allowed to have them. But it was also something that someone with a quick can could get a hold of if they had nothing but time and made it a complete priority. In the comic, the corner he's facing starts developing a face and starts speaking to him. Oh, gosh. And he starts speaking back. And this is what Joe says to the wall. I imagine I could plunge the pen into my body and I'd either die or they need to deal with it, and I end up in a hospital. So like I may as well consider, for the sake of the argument, you know, put this thing in my wrist, in my heart, in my neck. Could be a fun thing to test out. And then he had a voice of reason come, but what about my family? The wall speaks to him. Fuck them. What about them? What about my sister? She would understand if she were here. But what about, shut the fuck up. What are you here for? Nobody cares. Kill yourself, Joe. Suddenly, out of nowhere, there was a boom sound. And a generator must have switched on because the emergency lights out on the staircase outside of the corner room immediately kicked on. Beep! Sounded throughout the halls. For the first time in a year, the house had a power blowout. And in my head, it meant everything. I've mentioned multiple times now that a combination of multiple factors, including sleep and food deprivation, had my brain and logic running on empty. 
But when that power blew out in that moment of absolute despair that I was going through in my head, it meant only one thing. Something higher was listening. I was suddenly sure of it. Joe goes back and forth uh, talking about uh, God and the devil. He was raised more towards atheism, but that day made him believe that there was at least a higher power. At least that's how he took that situation. Like in his deepest and darkest moment ever, something came that, that stopped him from doing just that. So that was, that was kind of a, that was the biggest turning point for Joe so far that I've read. From there, he realizes that he actually has 12 months left until his birthday. And on his birthday, he would turn 18. So when you're 18, you can legally leave Elon. And they let people do that. He's watched people turn 18 and they leave. Sign papers, walk out. He said he's also watched people stay. They were manipulated enough to... You need us. Mm -hmm. And get employed and become miniature Rons and run the show there. Uh, He knew he wouldn't be one of those people. That's freaking dark, bro. Yeah. So while he was there, he does a way... Joe does a way better job at uh, illustrating this change. I guess while he's there, he decides to just follow them until he turns 18. Like follow Elon's rules. This time without any ulterior motives. Like with trying to, you know, get some freedoms and then run away. It was just to brave it out and to make his time not as, or as least stressful as possible. Even if it came at the sacrifice of some of his humanity and hurting some of the other, you know, residents there. I didn't do that justice. Go and read the comic. He describes it a lot better. But he starts doing all the jobs. He starts from the bottom again. And uh, I think by like month four, five, six, he becomes a strength again. Surprisingly, he becomes a strength and he starts getting uh, more responsibilities, but more freedoms. While he's comfortable with being strength, Ron comes comes to him. And by this point, Ron's like gotten buddy-buddy with him. And it's been kind of crazy. Like, I, it doesn't feel deceptive in, in some parts. Calling across, hey, Joe, come eat with me today. Hanging out, chatting about anything and everything, which people don't do in Elan. But one day, uh, Ron comes to him and says, hey, grab your meal, uh, your breakfast. Let's go eat outside. He says, Joe, my man, I've been thinking about you. I can rely on you, right? This is just how they groom him to want to stay. Joe replies, I'm your guy, Ron. You've come so far, man. So proud of you for truly making a change. You stand for all the good that we have built here at Ilan, which is why I need you. Today, now, as a matter of fact, right now, put these on. And he hands him a pair of gloves. Joe's taken to, I think, one of the other houses confronted with a non-strength who's in the ring and on the way there joe's thinking if this kid is scared i'm showing him mercy just like i was shown mercy in my first ring do you remember that yeah Uh the strength refused to fight him and they both got general meetings that's what was going through his head but as soon as he stepped in 
the kid looked pissed and was ready to fight. So Joe, I guess, acted out of self-defense, but overpowered this kid to the point where, you know how in the ring they switch you out? Yeah. Or they switch your opponent out? Yeah. And you're constantly fighting an uphill battle of fresh fists? That wasn't needed because Joe beat the shit out of this kid just in the first round. The kid couldn't get up, bleeding, bruised. Joe just took all of it out on this kid. That earned him the position of coordinator. Coordinator are the four kids in the room that you walk into. And oh, yeah. They tell you everything. They're pretty much the top. They are the top of all the Elan residents, not including the employed staff. Highest you can go as a kid. Mm-hmm. Highest you can go as a kid. It's crazy. Reading this, 98% of Elan is run by the kids. They clean. They teach them. Uh, they have teachers, but the teachers are shitty. They cook. Surveillance. They do. They, yeah, they do Rounds. surveillance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, the adults come in every once in a while, make life a little harder and make them deal with it, you know? So Joe is, uh, is now a coordinator kind of helping the adults. But along with this, he gets way more freedoms and privileges than anybody else. And as he is experiencing those privileges, he's like, I see why people would want to work up to this. I was just thinking I can understand people staying. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if you've gotten to that position, you have purpose, you have power, status you probably would never have outside. So it's like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. he, And it doesn't seem like a lot, obviously, in comparison. But it's but everything there. Every, it's everything there. He's given a big handful of candy. He's given library time. He can read, which he utilizes a lot. He gets closer with Ron. And Ron, like, asks him, are, are there any other books that you want to read, you know, that aren't in the library here? Gives him some suggestions. And Ron gets them outside of Elon, brings them back the next week. Joe reads through all of them. Joe's uh, given the privilege to run, like, on at, like the perimeter of the Elon campus for exercise. Uh, Joe says that he sprints. He doesn't ever jog. He said, I, I would run until... Like my heart hurt, my lungs hurt, just to get my feelings off. Once a week, uh, they get a six-pack of any soda of their choosing. Once a week, they get a small personal pan pizza. Oh, oh man, I'm dude. so hungry <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about and they're to. like, we heard you were about to get lunch with your homies in New York, so we got to compensate yeah. somehow. <laughs> Here's that pizza, bud. Yeah, he said it was the shittiest pizza ever. So Sean's budget pizza? <laughs> no, worse, no, bro, dude. That's gourmet. Like- <laughs> Um, that little pizza shack, dude. Yeah. Um, but a ton of, you know, would you call those placebos in a sense? Uh, I mean, like instilling I guess, yeah. false security-ish? Yeah. Anyway, this was his life. He had a lot more responsibilities, um, but it almost seemed worth it. Finally, it's about a year later from when he had his suicidal thoughts. Six months after uh, he becomes strength, and he's now coordinator, big badass at Elon. And he's called to a trailer that he had only been to once in his entire career at Elon, and it was when he first got there. He walks in, and there's a table 
of a few of the Elon staff. Joe, sit down. Oh, shit. Click, 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 click. Speakerphone starts ringing. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. We're here to discuss the graduation of Joe. Joe's parents respond, We've heard so much about your progress, Joe. We're so proud of you and excited to have you home. And that's the last chapter that Joe's written. Oh, freaking A, dude. <laughs> Jokes on all of us. <laughs> and that was released, I think, last week. I think every other week he releases a new chapter. So we're close. He's 18. I think he's going to leave. It all, you know, arrows are pointing in that direction. He still could like want to stay and bring it down from the inside or something. He could. I I was really scared. He talks about how he he was even disappointed with you know the choice to want to make it easy for himself like by giving. Yeah, and give by up. giving in because mm. he knew that there were things being sacrificed because of that. But I can't blame. I, I can't. Judge. I can't blame him when he's the product of the environment there. An environment where you literally cannot help yourself otherwise. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like a conscious choice too. Like, a, I'm going to do this so eventually I can get out. It's like it's like war, kill or be killed. You know. Yeah. I think I. I honestly don't think that there is a problem with that choice. I like, don't. Yeah. Yeah. Or at the like very in, least, I'm not the one to judge. In the con- oh, yeah, in the yeah, context yeah. of everything. With all things considered, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, a couple things that I that I forgot. Uh, he said he found out that about a year before he arrived at Ilan, the coordinators weren't given candy and snacks. They were just given packs and packs of cigarettes, letting all these underage kids just smoke. He's not sure why that stopped. He wasn't sure if that became political. They started fighting over it. I mean, you could fight over candy and pizza too in that situation. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that wasn't a thing anymore. I don't know if I I mentioned this previously, but letters were being sent to him, and they would read all of the letters being sent. Yeah. In front of you? Uh, no, not in front of you. Or I think they read it in front of you, but not aloud, and then they would decide right there if you would get it or not. More nope. often than not, nope. They would tear it up, Ugh. and they would say who it's from too. And they would say, you haven't earned this yet. One day, you can earn it. You know? So, terrible place, man. So crazy to me that it lasted for four decades. So crazy so crazy that, that there are other places like that that probably don't have this story to oust them. Mm-hmm. So many untold stories. Am I right in, in thinking this might be the last time we hear... About Alon for a couple episodes? This is the last time we'll hear about Alon for a couple episodes. Because I'm going to wait for it to build up more. Totally. Before sharing the next bit. I, I, like I said, I think it'll end soon. Like there's only a few chapters left. So I'm, I'll just wait until, you know, if that is the case, I'll just wait until all those chapters are written and then I'll share the last, huh. last bit. But Elon.school, check it out online. Go read it for yourself. Uh, go and support Joe. 
because this isn't his full-time job. We definitely should. Um, We followed them on Instagram. I think it's Joe versus the cult uh, is the, the handle. So go and check that out. Definitely worth, it's a good read. Really, really good read. But thanks for sticking through me with this. Oh, dude. Loved it's it. been a lot. Like, it's taken a lot of time to, like, filter through all of this. Like I said, there's way more details that help enrich the story for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. But No, dude. I've loved it, and I've had a ton of people reach out and say how much they liked this ongoing multi-episode story. For saga. some reason, I've just been feeling more stressed the last, like, four weeks. And I'm just now putting a finger on why that is. I know. It's DJ. It's DJ. <laughs> you dickhead. <laughs> nah, dude. Sorry, not sorry. Have I have I brought up the Institute yet by Stephen King? Yeah. I think you did. In relation that. to Alon. The more and more you talk, it's like he there's no way he wasn't insanely inspired by Alon. It's up in Maine too, so it's like it's in Maine. Oh, yeah. When you describe the campus, it's like it's the same. They give packs of cigarettes to the kids. Oh, yeah. I want to talk to my home or to our homie, uh, Ethan, from Maine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on the Maine episode. wonder if he has any dirt on it. He almost came tonight to listen. Whoa. But could have fit it in his schedule as to us texting him. Huh. But, uh, yeah, if you read the comic, there's some other content in there that really adds to this. Supposedly, somebody snuck a, like a tape recorder into a lawn. And started recording during one of the general meetings where they scream oh, at you. Yikes. And you can hear just kids screaming at the top of their lungs, cussing people out. And it's like dealing with that all day, every day for years. No bueno. I, I get it. Um, why it would turn you into something like this. Uh, there's also a bunch of like brochures from Elon marketing to parents. You know, why Elon works, why it's successful, the success rate how they help. And if you didn't have any context about this story, you'd read it and you'd be like, this is a oh, great this, place. this place sounds great, you know? So deceptive. Yeah. I think it's like one of the worst crimes or like sins. Like you can kill a person, but that just ends their life. Or you can do things that like f*** up their entire existence. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference. Yeah. It's like I'd almost you'd rather just kill. You know what I mean? I don't know. Well, and that's where he was at, too, before the whole power outage. Yeah. He's like, I'd almost rather die than have to go through this. Yeah. yeah. So it's a form of torture. For sure. Um, I might be wrong. I can't remember. But Jay Siri, the owner, I think he passed away without anything happening to him. Did he not kill himself in jail? No, nah, dude. He's no. probably so well protected to the end of his death. He probably died in a mansion. I was thinking about Epstein. But I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's too bad. Dude, thank you. Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> it's grim. Know, it's it's but an it's, important story. I don't know. It is an important story. It's uh we don't we don't get a lot of stories that, you know, can be I mean, not all our stories are like eye opening. To me, this has like been eye opening. We hear Headline. We read headlines about stuff like this. Yeah. Um, but the human experience and the level. Exactly. That you, like you go through it with Joe. We hear the news talking about it, but rarely do I hear the firsthand account. account. Yeah. So I, I really think this is a valuable, valuable story uh-huh. piece. You know, in uh, 
Mad Max when they're like, witness me. Oh, yeah. Like sometimes, I don't know. I don't. Hmm. It's also in True Detective. You know, Matthew McConaughey plays Rust. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the dialogue exactly. And I'm an idiot for bringing it up. But he basically says like he feels compelled to like witness these horrible stories and not look away. Like not deny that human experience. You know what I mean? I don't know. So in a way, it's like going through this with Joe is like, I don't know. We all can bear the burden a bit. Yeah. It's like, it's a weird, uh, I guess, method of empathy. Yeah. At least hearing and knowing the story. Yeah. You it can would... empathize with that situation. Be aware of it in the future as best as possible. Yeah. Mm. But that's me tonight. Is there anything else? No, dude. Not a time for bed. It is time for bed. It's late. It's almost midnight here. So what are you doing awake right now? <laughs> yeah, go to sleep. Yeah. Go get whatever you need to get done. Go tuck yourself in. It's over. Take care of yourselves. Be excellent to each other. We love you. Drink water. Get sleep. Trust your gut. Watch your back. Bye. Love you. Be safe. Be careful out there. Have a great weekend. Goodbye. I love you. I love you, emperors and empresses. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3AM. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM Pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so, submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. So file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.